The Star Wars Holiday Special is brought to you by... Jet's Toy Hut. This holiday is yours. But we all share with you the hope that this day brings us closer to freedom and to harmony and to peace. No matter how different we appear, we're all the same in our struggle against the powers of evil and darkness. I hope that this day will always be a day of joy in which we can reconfirm our dedication and our courage, and more than anything else, our love for one another. Rasputin, the size of his junk increases with his legend. I'm Kevin Leeson. Drugs, alcohol, orgies to defeat sin? Maybe I should give religion another chance. I'm Joe Fulgham. How many noseless assassins does it take to kill a stinky antichrist? I'm Torrin Atkinson. Find out today on Caustic Soda. Another episode of Evil Dudes in History. Shirley Rasputin was the most evil person in history. Well, not the Agree most, but certainly on the list. If you believe everything that was said about him. I do. I think we bought, we, when, we decided to, when we decided to do this episode, I think we, we bought into the hype. We kind of thought, wow, yeah, Rasputin, he's evil, right? He's been in all those movies as an evil sorcerer. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it turns out probably not so evil. Maybe not a good guy. Let's explore. Sure. All right. So this might be chapter one of the not-so-evil dudes in history? <laughs> Maybe the people who called him evil are evil. Let's find that out. Ooh. Oh, a little turnabout. The most misunderstood evil guy in history. <laughs> so the name Rasputin, uh, there's quite a few thoughts on this, including people thinking that he was named Rasputin, which means debauchee, that he was debauched because of his sexual appetite and stamina. Mm-hmm. But the most well-founded explanation is it is a standard Russian surname derived from the old Slavic name Rasputa, uh, which means ill-behaved child. 
So, so even before he was born, they knew he was going to be an ill-behaved well, child? Well, it's his family name. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just about to ask. Like, One of his ancestors was an ill-behaved child. I always thought Rasputin was actually like a nickname. His full name is Grigory Yefimovich Rasputin. Okay. Right. So it's, you just call him Greg. Grigor. <laughs> he was a Russian Orthodox Christian and mystic, perceived as having influence in the latter days of the Russian Emperor Nicholas II and his family. Yeah. Some people called him the Mad Monk. Although, I've heard that before. Although, as we'll find out, he never actually decided to become a monk and certainly did not do things that monks did, such as not marrying and not having sex. He did the opposite of that. Uh, others called him Stranic, which is a term for a religious pilgrim, or even Staretz, which means uh, elder, which is usually a term reserved for monk confessors, and they believed him to be a psychic and a faith healer. So a clairvoyant. Al- yeah. yeah. So already, we can smell the bullshit about Rasputin. Right. There are no psychics. There are no actual faith healers. It's, it's bunk. You're either a crazy person who thinks that you can faith heal, or people are just telling stories about you. There I are. Kn- or I knew you're... Or your con man. I knew you were going to say that. Oh, he must be a clairvoyant. You're psychic. (laughs) Although there are a lot of stories of healing. Yeah. His healing powers, which don't really come up with any explanations. Yeah, his laying on of hands and whatnot. I've heard of some. We'll we'll get to that. Okay. The phobia, hierophobia, is of course the fear of priests or sacred things. Ooh, that Mm -hmm. seems appropriate. And uh, do you guys know what the fear of seeing, thinking about, or having an erect penis is? (laughs) I kind of have this fear of others. Does this, is this for that's, others? That's homophobia. <laughs> no, no. Penalophobia? Ithyphalophobia. Grigori was born in Siberia in 1869, and uh, his father raised him to know about the church at a very young age. Uh, his father would read the Bible to him, and he adopted his father's trade, which was conveying passengers and goods over the roads to neighboring villages. Uh, and one of his passengers was a student at the College of Divinity. Uh, during the trip, the two discussed religious matters, and the student was astonished to discover how learned this simple peasant was with the church. That student, Mileti Zoborovsky, began talking about a new doctrine that any sinful common man could follow and persuaded Grigory to stay in the monastery instead of going home to his family. Oh, so he like gave the guy a ride, and then the guy convinced him to stay in the monastery. Yeah, come on, this will be fun. <laughs> Now, this, this monastery wasn't regular, ordinary, orthodox Catholicism, was it? Christianity? No, this was uh, a faith called Callisti. Mm-hmm. K-H-L-Y-S-T-Y. Callisti. And it's an underground sect from the late 17th to early 20th century that split off from the Russian Orthodox Church. He was taught the teachings of that, which included wild dances, flagellation, all-night orgies, it was the idea was no that, wonder he never left. <laughs> the idea was to expose yourself to as much sin as possible, and that made you resistant to it, so that you could go yeah, to heaven. It was, it was like sinning to drive out sin. This sounds like a kind of cult I can get behind. <laughs> yeah, you can easily understand why the guy said, "Hey, you should stay up here at the monastery. Tons of orgies and dancing, and you whip yourself." Know thy enemy, I guess is. Uh, yeah, yeah there was a lot so. of flagellation, and apparently he wore. Uh, heard in one documentary, he wore. Iron shackles when he would go out on his walks sometimes. Oh, oh! So it was all about the kind of the the self loathing punish yeah, yourself, which is which was very popular in many Christian. Right. Okay, so he would have an orgy and then uh, flagellate himself, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know uh, perhaps turn to some fellating, and then uh, you know back to iron shackles and walk, going on long walks, chained to himself. <laughs> 
and then back to orgies. And this is a bipolar Russian Orthodox <laughs> cult here. Or it could just be my th- my theory of this is that this stuff might not all be all that true because uh, a lot of this is written after his death by his enemies. Oh, okay. So it seems like they may have uh, – his daughter actually insists that he was not a part of this sect, that he was just a regular holy man. But this but, sect did exist. Yes. And this sect did believe these things. And you know there are some factual statements to say that he did partake in some of these activities. He was certainly not the most pious of monks. That's true. Yeah, right. he and, certainly liked drinking and apparently had sex quite a bit. Yeah, but well, here's here's an example of a story that I think has been probably blown out of proportion a little bit. So he got married at age of nineteen, had three kids, uh, but then he left to wander the Russian countryside, and he made his money as a faith healer and fortune teller, which we can kind of know right now it's, means he's, he's a con man he's a con man like he's, right. he's i'm a monk and i'll heal you and you know people think they feel better so they yeah. donate some money to him or he or he was just you know he believed it himself or he believed always himself, another right. possibility but he's jerry falwell kind of yeah. yeah so he would travel nomadically through russia uh and he became known as the stare at the wandering holy man and uh, he claimed to heal the sick during this time he would travel with the walking stick and an alms bowl in hand and he would occasionally enter towns and call a meeting of the uneducated townsfolk he would quickly baptize every man, woman, and child in the village, excluding the prettiest of the young women. He then announced that in order to make the young women clean of spirit, they would have to undergo the pleasures of the flesh with a holy man, namely himself. This definitely falls into the whole Callisti thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, join me in an orgy and then we can all go to heaven. That's definitely one point for evil in my book. Yeah. yeah. So he just went from zero to one. <laughs> all, all the men of the village could do was watch as their wives and daughters joined the monk in his sexual blessings. Apparently, Rasputin's promiscuity produced countless children by countless women all over Russia. Well, there you go. Now, I don't doubt that this couldn't have happened a couple times, but really? The, 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 to claim you, that he the, ravaged he his is, way all the way across Russia on a regular basis? All that the men bit... could do is stand by as their wives had sex with this <laughs> wandering holy man? Really? One thing I heard was that at the time, occultism was very powerful and it was more of an open sexual society at the time as well. Oh, okay. So that may have something to do with I'm it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Just countless women and countless children. It seems it like may maybe... may have been blown out of proportion. Yeah, you took like one incidence or, you know, where he didn't bless like one girl in a village and then all of a sudden it was every woman in the entire village yeah. had sex with Rasputin. All the pretty women. At yeah. his behest. He, he demanded it or else he would curse them for eternity. But it's like, it's one of those, if there's smoke, there's fire kind of things. Like he probably did bang a bunch of people's wives and daughters on his travels across the countryside. I'm not going to argue he's a good dude. Thankfully, he's, after he's a not bunch a, of... He's no Hitler. Uh, yeah. After a bunch of really distasteful evil dudes in history, this one, I almost find myself making excuses for him. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, you know. In 1903, he was introduced to Tsar Nicholas II and his wife, Alexandra. Their son had hemophilia, which uh, for anybody who doesn't know, means that his blood was lacking uh, the clotting agent. So if he started bleeding, it was very hard for him to, to stop bleeding. His right. blood would not clot up and, and uh, close. Apparently, hemophilia is not that big a deal for external bleeding because you can put pressure on it and it eventually slow down and clot up. But internal bleeding was extremely dangerous. Well, yeah, especially so he with, could just bump himself and then bleed internally to death. With all of the uh, you know internal medicine that was going on around the turn of the century or in the late 19th century, I'm sure, no problem. They could just get an internist there and just take care of business right away. 
right? That's right. That's how it worked, right? I'm a, I am a medieval doctor, and yes. <laughs> leeches. Just hammer them with leeches. So the word is, in 1908, the son of the Tsar developed a horrible internal bleed, and Rasputin healed it. And I don't have any actual details on this, but the, the rumor is he laid his hands on him and calmed him down. Uh, much like a first-level like first level spell in Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. He <laughs> cast Cure Light Wounds, and the boy got better. From what I found, most of his advice was keep the doctors away, keep him calm, don't move him, and then he would touch him and tell him to relax and relax him. This is actually really good advice for somebody suffering from hemophilia. Right, because his don't heart stops out. beating so yeah. fast and you don't accelerate the problem Calm and down, you give your body you're a going chance. to be okay. Yeah. Let's just let it fix itself, hopefully, and maybe a little bit of luck. Yeah. But of course, because it happened after he laid his hands on, they attribute it to this amazing healing power. Right. Yeah, right. But he had the right instinct because the, the kid could very easily have died right after he laid hands on him and then executed and then, for treason or something. And then we don't remember the story of Rasputin. That's yeah. right. I'm sure there are all sorts of people who tried to heal yeah. rich people's kids and didn't work. Yeah, there'd be no, famous. there'd be no Boney M song to commemorate his legacy. The disco historian Boney M himself. <laughs> because they believed that he healed their son, he became a confidant to the Tsarina, Alexandra. He had an all-access yeah. all pass to the uh, Yeah, he had palace. her ear. She believed fully that he had magical healing powers and the wisdom of God. Yeah. And he instantly became a power player in court. the court. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, that's the one thing that even your most casual observer who knows anything about Rasputin, that's the thing that you always know is that the, he had the Tsarina in his back pocket. And yes. that's why, you know, even when he accrued a boatload of enemies, that was his, like, that's what he could always fall back on, the allegiance of the royal family and that they just worshipped him because it seemed that he was the only person who had the power to keep their son healthy. When I was reading through all this stuff, I was even thinking about like a modern day equivalent, like some kind of con man going around. He's, you know, going to a few towns, doing a few church revivals, tent revivals, you know, making yeah. a little bit of money off them. And then all of a sudden he lucks out. And say Paris Hilton falls deathly ill, yeah. and he happens to be in town, and he happens to Faith say he's going to do it, yeah. and she gets better through no fault of his own. It just yeah. happens to get lucky. All of a sudden, the charlatan becomes a confidant with the most powerful, one of the richest and most powerful families around. Yeah. So he's, of course, going to stop doing all his tent revivals and just hang out with them. Yeah. And just take all their money and enjoy himself and live Have there until they figure him out. And, it's yeah. a, probably a much better place to live in the palace in St. Petersburg than... Uh, than Siberia? <laughs> yeah. Some of the rumors that I heard was that he may have been sleeping with the Tsarina. He was living there and he would have his devotees come to him mm -hmm. and they would have these orgies. He would encourage them to uh, sin with him. Yeah. I.e., you know, have sex. Mm -hmm. And he would also go out and have sex with prostitutes all over town as well. Right. He was certainly, certainly seemed like he was enjoying himself. He was Randy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no randier than say a Charles Manson or a David Koresh. Well, you're again, you're a con man. Yeah. You're now living with and completely trusted by the richest people in basically your world. Uh, arguably the richest and most powerful people in Europe. And you already have a reputation for just being debauched and having sex all the time. Yeah. Everybody thinks you have magical powers. Yeah. All these women are going to want to have sex with you. So they yeah. get blessed. It's like, uh, why would you not do that? Uh, it'd be very easy to like, Oh, you want to use my faith healing powers? Well, it's my penis that heals. 
And one of the other things I heard was that he would often beat the women. With his penis? No, just <laughs> with his beaters, whatever we regularly beat people with. Could be elbows. He'd probably use his own, his own fla- self-flagellating whip and Possibly. Them or yeah. something. Whip stick. As part of the, you know, beating the devil out of them. Yeah. And then right. he would have sex with them. So I'm going to I'm gonna go back up to, up to two on the evil scale. All right. He's crawling his way up. Now, again, a lot of this is this is after his death, these rumors coming out. We can pretty much say that he was not a pious man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And there are also there's, reports there's little that, doubt. There are also reports that he would, going around town and mumbling to himself and having kind of fits and whatnot. Right. So it could be that he was a schizophrenic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he could have certainly had both things going on in his head, that he was a believer and a con man at the same yeah. time. Yeah. It's, this is the problem with, with Rasputin is yeah. it's hard to get through it's hard all to this know. talk after his death yeah. and figure out what the truth was. It's hard to know whether or not he was simply an opportunist or he was like a true believer in his own yeah. hype, right? Yeah. So, it's, I mean, my sense of human nature would be probably a combination, yeah. right? The only reason he gets all these devotees is because he is preaching, you know, quite convincingly due yep. to the fact that he has this kind of like, no, you know, I mean, uh, a guy in those positions, they, they have a tendency to get a bit of a God complex. One thing we didn't mention is that uh, he also had piercing eyes by many accounts. You, you know, he was claimed to have, have hypnotic powers just by looking at you. Yeah. So I made reports of people who had actually met with him. And also that he uh, was very stinky. Oh. Yeah. He was extremely bad smelling. Apparently, he early on in his life, he went through phases where he wouldn't touch his body. He wouldn't bathe. He would, Just things would accumulate in his beard. Right. When you look at the pictures of him, you can completely believe it. He looks creepy. And his hair is totally greasy. His beard is huge and long and unkempt. Yeah. I have no problem believing that this man stank. He looks weird. smelly. Yeah. <laughs> The question is, why did the women want to sleep with this guy? I think it's, you know, it, it, honestly, it goes, it goes to his rap, right? The routine that he's, he got. I mean, obviously, he test, he test marketed all the way across the countryside <laughs> with all, like, the peasants and women and whatnot. And he figured out what exactly worked. And this whole, like, holy man routine and laying on of hands and, like, you know, uh, a sinning your way out from under sin and all the rest of that stuff. And it's, you know, it was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to plug my nose and hold my nose and have <laughs> sex with this mad monk because uh this is going to get me into heaven and so be it yeah and then you know rumor has it he had kind of a huge schlong as well so uh kind of get some icing on that stinky cupcake <laughs> greasy icing <laughs> so I, I just i just think it's all like you know it's it's all power driven right it's all you know i mean especially once he gets in with the royal family and he's r- running around the russian court i mean i'm sure you, you got groupies you're gonna get people who are gonna sort of want to be in your camp because you curry such favor with the most powerful people in the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like it he got there in that position because of his his routine and then, you know, once he got there it only entrenched him even further. Now I've got a story here of something that they claim that he accomplished one of his magical feats. All right. Uh, he was very close to the Tsaritsa's closest friend Anya Vrubova. I apologize if I'm butchering these Russian names. Mhm. Her devotion to him was absolute, which was reinforced after a terrible derailment of the train from Sarsko-Selo to Petersburg, in which Anna was almost killed. Although she survived the accident, Anna's condition was so bad that her doctors despaired of saving her life. Her body was crushed and mangled. Oh. 
Rasputin came to her bedside, stood over Anna as she lay near death. He reached out and held her hand, dripping with sweat, intensely focused. Rasputin repeated the words, Anushka, Anushka, rise. The drama of the moment was apparently incredible. Anna suddenly awoke from her coma, opened her eyes, and tried to rise from her bed. It was a miracle. As Rasputin staggered into the next room, he spoke prophetically saying that although she would live for the rest of her life, Anna would be a cripple. So it came to be. But after this, none of the rest of the Romanovs would have anything to do with him. Because like, it's kind of like the raising of the dead sort of thing? Yeah, they thought it was pretty weird and creepy. Yeah. But Nicholas and Alexandra still believed in him completely because he, he had saved the life of their child or so right, they thought. Right, right, right. With all the favor that he was currying with the royal family, uh-huh. my understanding is that the church was not too pleased with this. Oh, okay. The, uh, the like, Russian Orthodox Church, yeah. the official state yeah. church or whatever. Uh, and they had lured him to the ch- a church's basement and accused him of being in league with the Antichrist. Oh, nice. And they beat him with crucifixes. Wow. A bunch of a bunch of priests beating yeah. this, this spiritual leader yeah. with crucifixes. Okay. Uh, he reported this to Serena and those clerics had been banned. Uh, but they had also hired a deformed ex-prostitute nice. to dispatch him, and she stabbed him in the gut. So this is the first of what will lead to be several attempts on his life? Yeah. Beating him with crucifixes and hiring a prostitute to stab you. See, that doesn't sound particularly pious either. Like, these, it's, uh, are these guys any better than him? Have you not paid attention to all the news about other holy men from the modern day? I guess I haven't really paid that much attention to Russian history either. Life is sort of uh, not particularly valuable. You're dealing with people who really want to maintain the power that they've got. Yeah, and they want to maintain course. that influence over the Tsar and the Tsaritsa. Yeah. And th- all of a sudden, this guy who's from a an offshoot sect of your religion shows up, saves the life of their kid, and all of a sudden he has way more influence with them than you do. So mm-hmm. you want to get rid of that and go back to that status quo that you liked. Yeah, apparently Rasputin was hiring and firing ministers as well. Yeah, and about this time was when World War One started, and he was very much against the war and against all the, the peasants dying. Yeah. Right. So again, debauched person, had sex a lot, Probably fooled people, kind of a con man, but... But not a warmonger. But not a warmonger. He thought it was awful that these peasants were being sent off to die. Not a warmonger, but probably a whoremonger. Oh, I see what you did there. If you're going to off a guy, beating him with crucifixes and hiring an ex-prostitute to stab him seems circuitous, to say the least. Seems like uh, getting rid of a guy the long way around. When the prostitute stabbed him in the belly, she stabbed him so hard that his entrails came out. Like, visible. And she (laughs) shouted, I have killed the Antichrist. Okay, all right. It's a good battle cry. I thought he was in league with the Antichrist. I thought that's what their charge was. Well, word is she was actually kind of an insane ex-prostitute. She was... With no nose. (laughs) With no nose. She had no nose? Yeah, sure. She was a noseless prostitute? That was her deformity. She had no nose. How did she smell? Terrible. (laughs) As did Rasputin. Uh, maybe they had to get the noseless one because they figured his funk right. wouldn't like, put let's, her off. Let's get her. She can get close enough to him to stab him. <laughs> Getting women close to him was mechanism. never a problem. Yeah. But they did emergency surgery on him. Normally, a stab wound is going to be fatal. You're yeah, going to get absolutely. sepsis and you're going to be in big, big trouble. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, but he's got the richest people in, again, Russia backing him up. They had emergency surgery. Yeah. They managed to save his life, but... He apparently had been quite hobbled by this. He, he was slow. He was always in pain. His daughter, Maria, claimed that he suffered from hyperacidity after the stabbing. 
That was uh, June 29th, 1914. Uh-huh. In 1915, Tsar Nicholas went off to war and yeah. Alexandra fired all of her advisors except Rasputin. Mm. So oh. this is how much power he had. Yeah, you see, you hear something like that and that kind of makes you think he probably had something to do with that. Yeah. He's probably in there going, listen, you don't need all these other advisors. They just want to kill me anyway. You don't need all these other advisors that could have prostitutes with knives What have they done for you backs. lately? You know, you could probably get away with mm, one advisor. Yeah. And then he gave her the crazy eyes and she like melted under his hypnotic he just stare. Went, you know, but if you keep an advisor, it should be somebody who saved your kid's life. <laughs> Only keep advisors who saved Zarovich's life. And bring best friends back from the dead. So that was 1915. So, okay, all right. So this is probably not going to endear him to anybody else around right. the Russian court. All the other nobles are... Enraged. They're enraged. They no longer have influence, you know. They don't have the ear of the leader of the country. Yep. You you have to go through Rasputin to get to her. Exactly. So do they just accept their fate and rest on their laurels? You know, Torrin, I'm going to put Rasputin up to three on the evil scale because of this, uh, you know, firing everybody else around the... (laughs) Power grabbing. Yeah, power power grabbing. Excessive power grabbing to the detriment of others. Yeah, that's another score on the evil scale. All right, it's up to three. Yeah. Shortly before Rasputin's entire... Journey of fun ended here. He wrote a letter. Okay. Uh, and it said... Written in blood. <laughs> no. We'll just say it was, because everybody else lied a lot about him. He wrote a letter saying to all saying, of his enemies, I boned your wives. Yeah. Suck it. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing. God's on my side. He said, I write and leave behind me this letter at St. Petersburg. I feel that I shall leave this life before January 1. If I am killed by common assassins, and especially by my brothers, the Russian peasants, you, Tsar of Russia, have nothing to fear, will remain on your throne and govern, uh, and you, Russian Tsar, will have nothing to fear for your children. They will reign for hundreds of years in Russia. If it was your relations who have wrought my death, then no one in the family, that is to say, none of your children or relations, will remain alive for more than two years. They will be killed by the Russian people. You must reflect and act prudently. Think of your safety and tell your relations that I have paid for them with my blood. I shall be killed. I am no longer among the living. Pray. Pray be strong. Think of your blessed family, Grigory. So this is what leads me to believe that he had mental problems. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's basically saying, I'm going to die. Yeah. And you can send your assassins as long as they're peasants. Or I think he was more saying that he's going to die, and there's two ways he can do it. Either the royal family will do it, in which case you'll all be cursed, yeah. or the peasants will rise up and take me out. Right. And it, it, that not necessarily at the behest of the czar or anything like that. This seems to me to just be him going, don't look, tell your family not to kill me. Because I'm going to curse you, you all. Get your goons to back off. Like you're trying to use this fear. Yeah, but he, he writes in a loophole. <laughs> well, I don't think that... You don't write loopholes in prophecies, right? <laughs> Kill, killed by common assassins does not mean that you've hired. Yeah. That would still be being killed by the Romanovs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, I think he's... Uh, I'm going to call technicality. So what do you think? Do you think he wrote in, oh, send your peasant assassins to, uh, after me, and then he figured is when the peasant assassins showed up, he could talk them out of it? Yeah, I don't think he's... Being, oh, it's you not, think he's being actually extra cunning I, with this letter? No, no. I think he's being crazy. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, I I disagree. So we disagree on that. We can't we can't know. This is the terrible thing about history. Who knows? He might not have even written this letter. I can't find a source for it. Oh. So enter Felix Yusupov. 
All right. The prince and count and bisexual dandy who invites him to a quote-unquote party. <laughs> I like how you air-quoted party. Why? Because who was there? Just a bunch of guys, a bunch of guys with knives? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Sort of, it's like, this is the worst surprise party ever. Yeah, they, you know, they're all hiding behind the curtains and the couches and stuff. He walks in, he's like, where's the party? They're like, surprise! <laughs> they all giant knives in their hands. Stab. That may be the first surprise party ever. Lured him to a castle where they fed him cream cakes laced with potassium cyanide, which yeah. he didn't eat at first. Right. And they're all panicking, like, what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, the, they, the they claimed he ate them and, and magically survived. His daughter claims that he would not have eaten it because his hyperacidity meant that he avoided sweets and alcohol. Oh, I see. But maybe mm-hmm. he was so tempted by the delicious cream cakes that he said, maybe I'll just have one or I'm two thinking or if, three. If Torin had hyperacidity, <laughs> that would not stop him. Got a sweet tooth. Yum, yum, yum. Mm-hmm. I guess so. They claimed he did and that he survived. This is part of now the myth the of myth Rasputin, of Rasputin, how hard it was to kill him. Yeah. But there are a few explanations as to how he survived. Uh, some people think it was uh, mithroditism, which is building up an immunity to poison by giving yourself small doses of it. Or being constantly poisoned by others. The problem <laughs> is that you can't do that with cyanide. Cyanide will accumulate in your body. So you'll give yourself small doses and then slowly build it up, and then you'll just have enough to kill you and you'll die. Uh, you'll get a cyanide flashback. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you can't do that with cyanide. So that's not what it was. Okay. So we don't really have any excuse. The only reasonable explanation is that he just didn't need it. Or, or he's, he's magically magic. immune to poisons. Well, that's why I prefaced it with reasonable. Okay. All right. It's a loophole if episode. If there's magic, then he ate them. Mm-hmm word so that having not killed him what's phase two shooting him they shot him through the back okay uh, so um he was obviously uh um farting on them that's right and showing them his rear his in, sure. in very insulting ways that prompted them to shoot him in the back perhaps where they brandished the the pistols he turned around <laughs> maybe he was wearing like a big dinner plate in his back because he's really gonna get stabbed there right so right just turn around ding <laughs> it was his lucky crucifix <laughs> that he wore on his ass yeah and did he die? No, he fell, and they, for some reason, left the palace for a while. So oh, they started. probably figured, they're like, bam, bam he goes he's down. Dead. They're like, all right, great. Shot Rasputin in the back, gave him some cyanide. Yusupov had left without his coat. Oh, okay. So he went back to get his coat, went to check on the body. Rasputin opened his eyes and lunged at Yusupov. He grabbed him and tried to strangle him. But that's when the other conspirators showed up and they shot him again. Three times in the back, he fell over again. As they came to his body, he was still struggling to get up, still alive. All right, so now he's got four bullets in the back. Four bullets in him. And they claim that he's also been cyanide poisoned. And he's still trying to get up. So they club him into submission. Even if you're right and he didn't eat the cyanide-laced cakes. Yeah. Four bullets in the back ought to yeah. do the job. I mean, oh, you know. Are, these are 1914 bullets. Yeah, those are probably worse. I could take a few of those. Come on. What? In the back? Hey, there were not a lot of people coming back from World War One, and they were probably using the same kind of bullets. They bound his body, and they wrapped him in a carpet, and they threw him into the icy Neva River. Not my best carpet. <laughs> <laughs> really tied the room together, dude. <laughs> uh, but I, he apparently broke out of his bonds in this icy river. Yeah. And the carpet wrapping him, but then drowned. Oh, so he was still alive. He just simply drowned as a result. Yeah, and, the autopsy showed water in his lungs. Yeah. Suggesting that he actually did breathe. Suggesting in some water. that he was breathing at the time. Yeah. Why didn't they try and shoot him in the head? 
there's other evidence that they did and that that was what the killing blow was. Okay. According to the unpublished 1916 autopsy report by Professor Kosorotov, as well as subsequent reviews uh, by other people in 93 and in 2004, no active poison was found in his stomach. Okay. That certainly suggests that he didn't actually get poisoned. And a possible explanation is that the cyanide in the cakes had vaporized due to the high temperatures during the baking in the oven. Oh. So that they, they put the cyanide in before they cooked them. Yeah, that's that's the thought. Or that he just didn't eat the cakes. I right. submit that the cyanide leaked out of the bullet holes. It's <laughs> a good theory. That's <laughs> solid. That's medicine. That's good medicine right Sorry, there. If you shoot him in the belly and the cake I told just leaks you I was out. a medieval doctor. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. But there's also some discrepancies with the number and caliber of handguns that were being used. Remember this. Mm-hmm. Rasputin had the ear of the empress. Yes. He was against... The, Literally, her ear was in his back He pocket. was against World War One, Yeah. Where the Russian army was throwing themselves against the German army on, on the, the Eastern, Eastern Front. Front. Correct. If Russia had pulled out of that war and said, we are no longer going to let our people die, this war is no good. If she had listened to Rasputin... Mm-hmm. All those German troops could have gone to the Western Front. It would have changed the war completely. Yeah. I Britain, can see that. Britain, of course, did not want this to happen. I, I, I can see that too. The autopsy showed that the killing blow to Rasputin's head was from an, a large lead non-jacketed bullet. And the only people that were around in Russia at that time that had that were some British intelligence agents. Oh. oh. So one theory is that the British, knowing that he was pressuring the Tsaritsa to pull out of the war, and knowing that that would basically mean Britain would lose the war, decided he had to die. And then they are the ones who amassed the other conspirators. Although it yeah. probably wouldn't have taken a lot of convincing no. to mount a party of people who hated Rasputin enough to give him poison and shoot him. That's right. They probably just had to say, and on top of that, we'll pull some other strings for you guys to yeah. make sure there's no fallout from this. No blowback. And also all the cream cakes you can eat. <laughs> Here, have some. They're fresh out of the oven. <laughs> so he's dead. Well, they buried him. Yes. Okay. And he crawled out and ate brains. Was it a secret burial on royal grounds? Yeah, it was. Oh. But then some peasants found his body and dug it up. This was during the uh, revolution of 1917. That's right. Okay. During the revolution a year right. later. Dragged his body into the woods and burned it on a pyre. Oh, okay. Rumors say that during that cremation, he sat up and tried to escape. Dun, dun, dun. Now, of course, we could immediately say that's just total bullshit. But when you burn a body, if you don't cut the tendons, those tendons in the body will shrink sure. up. And cause a dead body to appear to be sitting up as though it were alive. Even uh, years after the death? I guess so. I, we Seems don't have legit. Dr. Rob here to confirm. No. <laughs> it's the only one way to be sure. <laughs> but still. That, Let's light Dr. Rob on fire? Is that what you're saying? To, to me, this, this one reasonable thing that happened, that they yeah. burned his body. They were just peasants. They didn't know you cut the tendons first. And they're burning this apparently evil man they've ha- heard all these horrible stories about because the propaganda has spread, right? Yeah. And then he sprung off of the burning pyre and all like of a sudden he like sits up. up in the pyre. <laughs> that seals it. That probably, to them, con- confirms every other thing they've ever read. And from there, the legend probably grows. Dude, I'm not even an ignorant Russian peasant. And if I put somebody on a funeral pyre and he sat straight up yeah. in the middle of it... I would poop my pants. That's right. I'm only, I would lose my mind. It, all that's saving me is Wikipedia telling me, no, no, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry about it. That's okay. That's what happens. Yeah, and you'd probably not likely reach into your pocket and get your iPhone out while this is going on and going, hey, like, what's going on with this guy sitting I up on a funeral I just start filming bar? it. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> he just sat up. 
Then he'd turn his head and look at me and open his eyes. Yeah. Then it would all be over. Then we'd fade to black and the movie would be over. previously news all right still more newsy than uh you know rasputin is killed uh, nearly 100 years ago yeah (laughs) the first russian museum of erotica is opening in saint petersburg the first i figured there would be dozens by now founded by igor kanyazkin igor (laughs) kanyazkin The chief of the Prostate Research Center in St. Petersburg of the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences. Does that just mean he likes sticking his finger up people's bums? 
It's research. It's that, but so much more. <laughs> Museums of sex and erotica exist in many European countries, and he wanted Russia to be a civilized country with a view on the future and with correct views on erotica. Okay. One exhibit in the museum is the 30-centimeter formaldehyde-preserved piece of Grigory Rasputin. That would be 13 inches. Having, quote, Having this exhibit, we can stop envying America, where Napoleon Bonaparte's penis is now kept. Napoleon's penis is but a small pod. It cannot stand comparison to our organ of 30 centimeters. So he thinks that size does matter. Though. Yes, exactly. I guess so. Now, I looked this up on museumofhoaxes.com to try okay. and get to the bottom of whether or not this was actually could conceivably be a rest. All right. So um, what do you think, Joe? Have you uh, read this? I'm going to say it's not. You're going to say it's actually his penis? No, not. Not his penis. It's not his penis. Sorry, it is a hoax. It's not his penis. You know that for a fact? Well, no. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the opposite side of the coin. I'm gonna say it is his penis. <laughs> does it heal? Does they it touch does, it? it did have healing You're powers. gonna have to see uh. if it can heal a small hemophiliac boy. <laughs> oh. So it definitely looks like a penis, but oh, I, I believe it's a penis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you may be able to find a picture on. This I'm way. sure we'll yes. post a picture of this on the website, causticsodapodcast.com. There you go. There we go. So you go and check it out. It most definitely appears to be a penis. You have or to wonder. A potato. <laughs> it could also be a potato. A yam. <laughs> Again, from museumofhoaxes.com, it reads: In 1916, Rasputin and his penis reportedly parted ways due to the machinations of a murdering gang of angry nobles. Parted ways. <laughs> it's a, such a nice way of talking is... about de-penising a person. <laughs> According to rumor, a maid found the bodiless member at the crime scene and saved it. So that's theory one. Okay. So they chopped off his penis and then just left it there on the ground when they went to throw him <laughs> in the river? So, and the maid found it. Okay. That's putting tipping the maid into a whole other category. During the 1920s, a group of Russian women living in Paris acquired it and worshipped it as a kind of holy relic. Worshipped? <laughs> You're supposed to do that before it gets cut off. <laughs> While keeping it inside a wooden casket. Rasputin's daughter didn't like the idea of her dad's penis hanging out with these women. Hanging out. Mm -hmm. So she demanded the thing back, and it presumably stayed with her until she died in California in 1977. It then disappeared for a while until it came into the possession of Michael Augustine, who found it tucked away in a velvet pouch, along with some of Marie Rasputin's manuscripts that he bought at a lot sale. I, so you, you reclaim your dad's penis yeah. because you think it's awful that these people have it. Yeah. And then you just kind of keep it. <laughs> you don't get it buried or Consecrated cremated or, or... Yeah. You throw it in a velvet Just make pouch. sure nobody else will ever get it. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want to keep my dad's penis in a jar. <laughs> the pouch. And maybe this yeah, is... Yeah, well, your dad's not a holy monk of madness. Maybe this is my own personal bias, but I find it interesting that the penis was discovered alongside manuscripts written by Rasputin's daughter. Mm. Like she was a wannabe screenwriter. Maybe she was using it for the pen. Yeah, <laughs> or it was her muse. She was like put it up against her head, and, like listen for the ocean or something. <laughs> That's not the ocean. <laughs> Augustine sold the well-traveled penis to Bonham's auction house, who then discovered that what they had bought was not a penis, but instead a sea cucumber. Now, the other theory is that, as we stated, after his death, the royal family had a secret burial on royal grounds. 
That's when the penis was and taken? the body that was exhumed and burned by the mob, that's when they spared the genitals. That when, that's when they cut off the genitals. Okay. So the director of the museum claims that he bought it from a French antiquarian for $8,000. So where did he get it from? Exactly. Where that's, that's something I couldn't find. And I mean, where did you get any penis from? Any like 30 <laughs> oh. centimeter preserved penis? Kevin, you want a penis? I can get you a penis. <laughs> I can get you a penis in three hours. Minutes. With three nail hours. polish. <laughs> <laughs> and then, in addition to that, Edvard Radzinski, in his treatise The Rasputin File, states that newspaper editor Alexei Filipov embarked on an investigation of his own. He frequently went to bathhouses with Rasputin. I had opportunity to observe physical peculiarities of his body. Nothing unusual. No enormous sexual organ. So make up your own decisions. Yeah. It's heavily leaning towards not Rasputin's penis. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, they're just the most telling evidence, of course, is like, how does it, did anybody come into the possession of his penis in the first place? Well, yeah, yeah the whole, the, the autopsy itself states that his genitals were intact. Yeah. So at least by the time they did the autopsy, he still had a penis. Yeah, and and if it was dug up by these people later, it wouldn't be in the good condition that it is in the formaldehyde jar that we see. Right. New theory. Okay, yes. I'm going to put it out here. It went through a warp. A, a time and space warp that Grigori had nope. created? The uh, royal family had a secret burial for him, and he actually was the Tsarina's lover. She took it oh. before they stuck him in the ground on the royal, uh, outside the royal palace. I will keep my favorite part of him for all time. <laughs> so I can yeah. remember. Sticks it in the jar. Uh, the revolutionaries take it when they execute them all. Bada bing, bada boom, French antiquarian. Which I don't think we actually noted. We talked about his prediction that if the Romans... Yeah, his prophecy. The prophecy. Because some of those nobles in the uh, party that killed him were Romanovs. Yep. And within two years, they were all dead. Because of true. the revolution. So if he actually made that prophecy... Yeah. and again, I can't prove it. Yeah, no cit citation needed. Yeah, exactly. Pop culture. I watched Hellboy. Yeah. Yeah. This. Based on the comic, and that scene is actually pretty much straight from the comic. Straight from, straight the, from comic. the comic, yeah. Okay. Rasputin was hired or was part of the occult Nazi division who was trying to summon Ogdru Jihad, the seven great elder gods from time and space, and uh, they had opened that portal on the island in Scotland where Hellboy was created. Yeah. And that was uh, Rasputin with the giant metal science hand, yeah. science glove, yeah. connected to the portal. Yeah, that's right. And and then he dies. He is, he is subsequently in that scene. This does Rasputin, not have to, just, Rasputin. Yeah, in the movie, Rasputin gets sucked into you know gets crunched into a little ball and sucked through the portal. Right. Uh, in the comic, that doesn't happen. But in oh. the movie, he's back basically in the next scene, being resurrected by blood. In that light, he's painted as as a bad guy as well. Basically, as a, yeah, as a sorcerer, as a but, sorcerer. But working with the. Germans who were killing all the Russian people yeah. that he was telling the Tsaritsa we should stop having all these people die. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a uh, fiction, heavily <laughs> fictionalized version of Rasputin. It is a lot of fun to paint him as a bad guy. But as we keep looking at this, I just see him as maybe just kind of at most a creep. I mean, best yeah, his, case scenario. His biggest mythology is that he's hard to kill. Yeah. yeah. I mean, best case scenario, we got him like scored him three on the evil scale. Whereas yeah. in fiction, like Hellboy, you know, he's like a 9 or a 10. He's a 9 yeah, or 10, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, same within uh, the animated movie Anastasia, which is a highly fictionalized version of the Russian Revolution. It, it really seems to go quickly through all that, and it's mostly about the girl 
right. the one daughter escaping to the, France. The princess. The princess. Sorry. Yeah, every Disney movie is about a princess in one way, shape, or form or another. In that Rasputin is the main big bad guy. He has he has sealed his soul into this uh, canopic jar mm-hmm. so that he can't die. He's way too over the top, ridiculously, I'm so evil that yeah, he's evil. Mustache twirling In the evil. very first scene, he shows up at a big party at the uh, the Tsar's palace and he basically said predicts that everybody's going to die and I, I'm going to get you and I don't understand why the Tsar just doesn't have him shot by the dozens of armed guards that are nearby like it just, <laughs> they just end the scene right and yep. I'm like okay he made his threat and the Tsar is really mad at him and in the very next scene he's in his underground lair planning how he's going to kill them all mm. I'm like how did you not just get shot but this, they, they just no we're going to get to the girl being in France right a plot hole in a Disney movie I it's not Disney. It was uh, 20th Century Fox. Oh, okay. Yep. I watched the first 50 minutes of a movie just called Rasputin. There may have been a subtitle, but I don't mm-hmm. recall it. Uh, played by Alan Rickman. I, so, I watched, oh, again, really? I watched about uh, t- half an hour or an hour of that. I can see halfway. that. I, I can see that actually. I, him actually being really good as Rasputin. It was a very odd movie. It was not good. No. Not, not a good I movie. Saw, no, How about his performance? Mm. No, not much. Mailing it in. Here's the thing. Again, I only watched the first fifteen twenty minutes of it, so I can't really speak to how it's all played. You, you, you were sick and tired of it. You were pretty much over yeah. it. Although, it, and it also this is the weird thing. It was such so boring and and just kind of not interesting. I guess. Which no, is another and they way set him up. Boring. <laughs> from what I saw of it, they kind of set him up as a as a good guy. Like he was a he was actually a holy man who actually had powers and wanted to do good, but all this other stuff was go- going on. Uh, the cast is Alan Rickman, Greta Scacchi, and Ian McKellen. Like, that yeah. sounds sounds good. And David Warner. Well, Alan Rickman won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for this movie. It was an HBO uh, TV, TV movie. Yeah. Ian Rasputin, McKellen. Dark Servant of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ian McKellen won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor and he was nominated for an Emmy for Best Supporting Actor. And yet it wasn't but a good movie. I don't... Well, even watching it, I couldn't understand why these... these. It's not a bad portrayal, but I couldn't understand why they got picked out as being better than everything else. The writing was the thing that bothered me the most. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It, just, it, it felt too... Felt too Hollywood mystical. Yeah, absolutely. What does that mean? Like it kind of felt like a, a movie where somebody gets magical powers out of nowhere. Like what was the John Travolta one where he gets the tumor and they think he's become super, he becomes super intelligent? Was that Phenomenon? Phenomenon, yeah, yeah. We talked about that, I think, in our cancer episode. Yeah. It had a feeling like that where everybody's like, oh my goodness, this this man has powers. Oh, look at him right. do this. Right, right. And, and he was – he would always make these dramatic entrances and appearances and and speak as though God was speaking through him. And it was all – And it wasn't even necessarily that up. the actors were hammy, but the no. writing was hammy. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think right. the actors did quite well with what they were given, yeah. which may be why they won right. these awards. But yeah, the The just fact the that they writing were even was, considered for those awards in the first place was kind of odd. Yeah, yeah. Don't recommend. I did watch most of Nicholas and Alexandra up to the part where Rasputin died because let me tell you, giant Hollywood period movies, period piece movies are not my kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Not even from 1971? Not even from 1971. But what about Doctor Who as Rasputin? That's right. The fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, portraying Rasputin. I was really excited about this. With a really long, dirty, smelly scarf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He kept that off most of the time, but Uh. yeah. You could only kind of see a bit of the TARDIS off in one part. (laughs) 
what I actually really enjoyed about his portrayal in this is I was very much expecting them to show him as, again, a big evil caricature. Haha, I'm here and I'm infiltrating the royal family and right. getting this power. And it, they seemed to play it far more realistic and not quite sympathetic. He was still debauched. Right. Uh, there's, certain, there's a scene right where, but where he dies where he's basically smoking opium with a bunch of other nobles. He's certainly a party man, certainly not totally on the level. But when he there was a couple of scenes where he's speaking with the Saritza, and he seemed very earnest and non-crazy, but a little odd. So it was a really good, I think, a really good portrayal by him. But once he died, I literally went, "Okay, this is a three-hour movie. I've still got an hour and a half left. I'm just not finishing it. It's yeah. not my kind of movie." If you like this kind of movie, it actually won uh, Academy Awards for, I believe, set and costume, and it's big and beautiful and. If you are okay with that kind of movie, I think you'll love it. But it's not my kind of movie at all. Yeah. I mean, they love their – the award givers love period dramas. Yep. So there is another movie called Rasputin, The Mad Monk from 1966 with Christopher Lee, but none of but us watched none it. none of us have seen it. Yeah. I couldn't find it. Yeah. So listeners, if you've seen it, chime in on causticsodapodcast.com in the comments yeah. or visit us on Facebook. Yeah. And let us know what you thought of it. So in the comics, uh, anybody who's an X-Men fan will probably know that Colossus, who can turn himself into a giant metal man, mm -hmm. uh, his, his full name is Piotr Nikolaevich Rasputin. Yes. And that lasted for quite a long time without them bringing up anything about the fact that his last name was Rasputin. And honestly, Piotr Rasputin, it's basically going, we need a Russian name, Rasputin. What's <laughs> yeah. his first name? Peter and the Wolf, make him Peter. <laughs> like, that's it. No, that's true. It was so on the nose. Yeah. But in 2006, they had a, uh, a comic called Bloodlines, and it confirmed that he is the de he's descended from Grigory Rasputin. Oh, wow. Okay. And they kind of made up this background story that Rasputin was a very powerful mutant, uh, Colossus being mutant. All that makes sense. Oh, right. Okay, that makes sense. But as he had descendants and he had many of them, his power was split up among them. Yeah. So in Bloodlines, he's going around and killing his descendants. Who is? Uh, Rasputin. He's still alive. Oh. Because he's hard to kill. Yes. That's part of his mutant power. Right. He's immortal. Once there's only one descendant left, he will be reborn within that individual. Oh, okay. So I haven't actually read it, so I don't know how he's killing them. I'm he going to go reborn. check this out because I have been a longtime X-Men fan. I didn't realize that there was this sort of spinoff storyline. Yeah, Colossus. I haven't read it either. Colossus has long been one of my favorite X-Men characters. Really? He's so boring. Although he's he is fun to draw. He's not boring. He's the opposite of boring. He has a sister that's a sorceress. Well, sister she's is not interesting. boring. Yeah. <laughs> but I, actually, I actually agree with both of you. I think he was boring, but I really like the way they pulled him off anyway and made him interesting despite him being a pretty one-note character. I'm a Russian man who turns into a giant, strong, indestructible metal person. Big deal. You know, he doesn't even fly. Fastball special. I, yeah, That's fastball special is great. You know, and I just – his character was very noble and I loved – he was kind of the one – I mean, we you'd have Wolverine, who was a badass. It was just jealous that he got to bang Kitty Pride. That could be it, too. She had a pet dragon. Video game that I play quite a bit, Team Fortress 2, uh, has achievements. Of course, there are things that you can pull off. Right. You know, like if you kill 10 guys at once or something. And one like of them that. is kill Rasputin? One of them is, is named after Rasputin. It's for the heavy class, who is the Russian character in Team Fortress 2. Mm. And you get it if in one life you are Steal shot. Steal somebody's penis. No, that would be great. <laughs> If in one life you are shot, so shot by a, a firearm, burned, bludgeoned, so hit with a melee weapon, and ex and hit with an explosive weapon, and still not die. Oh, but no drowning? Um, no, there's no drowning. No. 
What about poison cakes? There's no poison cakes. The, the, the heavy candy to sandwich, though. Okay. In White Wolf Game Studios' World of Darkness role-playing game metaverse, uh, there are many factions of their supernaturals. With They, they have mages and vampires and werewolves mm -hmm. uh, that claim Rasputin is one oh, of their wow. own. The Cult of Ecstasy from the Mages claim that he's theirs. Five of the vampire factions, the Bruja, the Malkavians, the Nosferatu, the Ventru, and the Followers of Set claim that Rasputin was one of theirs. And even the Shadow Lords of the Werewolves claim that he was theirs. Sounds like they've got Rasputin envy. Yeah, no Yeah, kidding. they really do. Like, <laughs> they just love that this thing built up around them. And who knows what the truth is. I don't yeah. know. Much like pretty much every story about Rasputin. And there are two mentions of Rasputin in the Doctor Who universe. Of course, time-traveling Time Lord. They've never actually met him in any of the TV shows. In one of the very latest episodes, Let's Kill Hitler. Ooh, I can get behind that. It's a good episode. It's one of the very latest. There is a crew of a shape-shifting robot. They're all very tiny and live in his head. And it's okay. this robot that... Uh, that can just change what it looks like. And they're going around time and fixing problems. Okay. And it's called the Tesselector. Mm -hmm. And their crew, just kind of as, a, as an offhand statement, uh, says that in a previous assignment, they copied Rasputin, but they got the skin tone green. And then there's a Doctor Who novel called Wages of Sin. In it, the third Doctor. So that would be... Um, Pertwee? John Pertwee. Thank you. Companions Joe Grant and Liz Shaw find out that the legends about Rasputin were just that, and he was not an evil manipulator that the history books made him out to be. And they actually get invited to the dinner where Rasputin has to get, is going to be killed because they know that in order for history to keep going the way it did, that it has to happen. Right. Because if he doesn't get killed, they're probably going to pull the Russians out of the war and blah, blah, right. blah, Right. So they find out that he's actually a caring individual and took care of the Tsaritsa's son because he didn't want the kid to die and he was against the war and all these other things. Right. Oh, it's just like that episode of Star Trek. However, Joe does pose as a maid in the kitchens and she gets rid of the poisoned cakes and wine and replaces them with untainted ones. Oh, there you go. Uh, that was Unknowingly explain. contributing to one the, of the, the last mythos. and most notorious chapters yep. of the legend. Yeah. yeah. Well, good times. In conclusion, what do we got to say about I got to say he's our least evil. I mean, even if most of the bad stories are true, he's still one of the least evil. I mean, we can't find I have no evidence of him killing anybody. This is kind of the opposite of the Ted Bundy. Yeah. Where we went into Ted Bundy going, yeah, this guy's pretty bad. And we came out just going, oh, oh, I feel so dirty. And Rasputin, I was like, yeah, I've heard he's pretty bad. And then we researched and we're like, he might have actually been a pretty decent guy. Well, he's, I mean, He's definitely a snake oil salesman. Right. He's quite definitely possibly a schizophrenic. And that's not evil. That's just effed up. Yeah. Uh, definitely a master manipulator. And worst case scenario, a serial rapist. So counting a three on the evil scale seems about right. I agree. Yeah. Ra ra Rasputin, lover of the love machine. machine. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows the words. <laughs> 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 <laughs>